No BI manager has ever joined a technician in his daily routine. No BI manager before got to on a plane, flew to Italy and back just to understand the work of the pilot. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Data Masters podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm sitting as usual with Mark Marinelli from Tamer. Uh, he's going to introduce the subject and the guest of our episode today. Mark, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Today we're going to hear from Ido Beger, the CDO of El Al Israel Airlines. He'll talk about what data lessons he applied to the airline after working at a major Israeli TV station. He'll talk about how embedding himself in different LL departments made him a better data leader and what he teaches the next generation of data leaders as an adjunct lecturer. Okay, here's my interview with Ido. Ido, thanks for, for speaking with me. You went from Yes, which is one of Israel's largest TV providers, to El Al, which is Israel's largest airline. Um, what was that like? Were there any challenges that you faced in making that transition? Well, Yes is the most advanced uh, television um, uh, company or telco company in Israel. And now, um, lots of what I brought from the telco industry to the airline industry uh, are things that uh, were not um, necessarily uh, connected. Uh, and it allowed me to think out of the box when I came to a traditional industry such as the airlines um, and bring new ideas towards them. Such as uh, I, brought, I was working on recommendation engine while I was working at YES, right? Like, such as uh, Netflix. So... Um, you could uh, choose your uh, video-on-demand um, uh, assets that you wanted to watch or programs and immediately to recommend it, the, the next one that uh, you could find uh, relevant for you according to the person you are, etc. But in flights, it can be the same, you know, um, suggesting you the next um, uh, destination or uh, understanding what would be uh, the best relevant uh, um, um, route or uh, ancillary for you. So you could bring uh, more uh, ideas from those uh, experiences that I had in the telco to the airlines. Another example is what we did with uh, all the field of um, settle boxes. So predictive uh, maintenance that was working at TS, uh, we could Im implement it directly at El Al as well because, you know, there is predictive maintenance to settle boxes, but at the same time, it could be predictive maintenance to airplanes. Um, once once we understood, uh, I understood that there are many, many opportunities for us to work with uh, the different business units. Uh, one of the uh, the biggest gaps in the airline was uh, connecting between the data of the different uh, business units. So, for example, you can't really um, divide or treat separately uh, the data of aircraft's um, problems or issues and the customer satisfaction. You can't really um, disconnect um, issues with on-time performance to, the again, the customer satisfaction. So by collecting all different types of sources, such as I did in the telco industry, it allowed me to think, again, out of the box and not in the uh, traditional way of the airlines and bring those ideas uh, directly to uh, a quick and, and very good implementation at, at the airline at Tel Al. So would you characterize this as an industry or a company phenomenon? Like, is it the case that airlines just in general happen to be more behind or traditional than telcos? In the telco industry, first of all, the data analytics was very, it was far more advanced. 
for sure. Uh, you can think of, I don't know, uh, American uh, examples of AT&T and uh, Comcast that are doing, um, or even uh, Netflix, uh, as, as we all know, are very far more advanced um, worldwide in their analytics capabilities. So in telco, again, um, it was very part of the business or the daily day routine to be data driven. So no matter what data you collected immediately, it became something that was inherited within the operational systems themselves. At, and at, at, at El Al, the operations side was very disconnected from the analytical and maybe commerce side. So only when someone came with understanding that there is no, as, as mentioned before, you can't really divide between the different organizations because an airline is a huge, huge company that's constructed out of those different uh, companies, right? There's the um, maintenance and engineering company, and there are the air crews, you know, the crew assignments, and all the different around the operations. There is all the thing about food. You know, there's, it's a huge catering company and a food company, and there's, of course, a service and commerce, and they all treat themselves as different companies uh, within this uh, huge uh, conglomerate. And what data allows us to do very fast is to connect all the different dots of this organization. So once again, because analytics in the telco is a huge part of the operational part of the operational processes, immediately when I came to the airline, I understood that this is where I want to be. And sometimes when you work in a, in a, in a single organization for most of your life, you can't even imagine things that um, are already out there, but in different industries. So my main goal was to get to a situation where data analytics within the airline becomes operational acts as implemented in the past two years. And I can give several examples if you'd like. Yeah, could you? How did you uh, pull all of this off and bring all these data silos together? At yes, or uh, at the telco, um, most of the data or most of the operational systems had a certain reflection in the single data warehouse, right? When you say a, a single source of truth, etc. So whenever some analyst wanted a certain information, a certain data to be extracted to him um, or to use by him, he knew that it's probably it's going to be in the data warehouse and sometimes you need to add a few more sources. At El Al, for example, 30% or maybe 40% out of the organization data was there. So 60% was not. So when someone wanted to connect different um, sources or different types of data into their analysis, we had to come up with a new way of methodology because to say uh, to the organization, you know, please wait for a few years, we'll collect everything to a single data warehouse, and then we're going to start. It's not, we know it's not going to happen. It's, it's not re even relevant to, to stay relevant with this some sort of, uh, of methodology. So what we created was um, a system called Rapid BI where we could collect all those different, different uh, sources into this huge, um, let's call it a data hub, and on top of that, we created this semantic layer with business entities. And whether it's views or whatever, we could connect ourselves with um, the visualization tool. In our case, it was Tableau. We connected ourselves to the semantic layer that behind the scenes was quick and dirty, right? So we, we collected immediately all those different types of sources and all these uh, different types of data uh, to us, this single uh, semantic layer. And by that, we could implement we call it data products in a very fast way within a week or two. So immediately the customer could see his final pro finalized product, even though behind the scenes it was quick and dirty. It wasn't really a, um, a structured well in a single data warehouse as, as we are um, used to. 
So by that, we could kind of close the gap, the, the, the huge gap between the, the situation where Elal was in terms of data analytics toward, with, with other companies. So within a year and a half, pretty much all of the organization units got their uh, data products and started to work on them. And not only that, in a, in, in a matter of a week or two, we could come out with a new version because the changes were very, very easy for us. And only when we got to a situation where he really loved his product and used it on a frequent basis, um, we then started to engineer it behind the scenes and make it uh, solid, like a solid, robust solution. And by that, we could really implement new products in a very fast way. The first um, uh, example for that was, for example, the on-time performance model, where we could connect 14 different systems that weren't represented in the data warehouse when within two and a half weeks we came out with a very good solution for the uh, operations VP. He, of course, um, showed it to his uh, you know, other uh, peers in the management and immediately it became something like everybody wanted it now, especially that we uh, used the mobile version, of course, so we could uh, walk with, with the data product and, and use it not only when you sit in front of the desktop. A lot of our pilots and, and people in the operations are using tablets, so... One of the benefits <clears throat> was that uh, it was uh, presented very well in tablets um, and not only on the desktop. Um, and it, be it started to uh, become operational. So we could, for example, uh, prepare to the station managers a uh, full overview of what's going to happen to them, not just what happened to them, but what's going to happen to them in terms of... Um, you know, disabled uh, passengers and uh, people with, uh, again, wheelchairs, children, uh, special needs, uh, and prepare their flights or their preparation to the flights that are going to happen from their station in a very, very fast way for the company to act very well up front. So it became a huge part of the operational system itself and not just, uh, you know, dashboards and data visualizations. And only then I could really understand that we're not just implementing a way or methodology that will help the analyst to figure out better what, what happened. We are preparing models and preparing um, um, tools and data products that will help the company um, in the operational system to behave very well and to prepare to the near future and sometimes the far future in a, in a much better way. This brings me to a bigger question, which is that when you uh, go to Elal, your job isn't just to introduce newer and better ways of doing data. It's that you have to get everybody around you who is used to doing things in, in the old way to get on board with your new plans. So how is it to gather all of the people around you, all of your colleagues behind your ideas? And importantly, did you experience any pushback? Well, that's, that's a great question. But the thing is, I'm not the issue. They are the issue. You know, my job is to make them kings. Um, so if people that are utilizing data becoming better at what they do, I did my job correctly. Because I'm not going to be the issue here. I'm not going to be the one who are who is going to push them to do things. I'm going to one who's going to show them how by using data, they're going to do be their job better. But they're the domain expertise. I will never be good in operations as the VP operation. I will never be good in service as the VP service. So I'm going to be the one who's going to be behind the scenes for them 
to be able to do uh, a better job. And that means that I need, first of all, to understand what they're doing. So, for example, my first two months was just spending time on learning the business. And I joined uh, technicians uh, dealing with um, taking care of their uh, routine procedures of their airplanes. Uh, I was I joined the pilots and, um, you know, um, air crew to, during those flights to understand what they're doing, flight attendants and, and pilots during their flights. I joined uh, station managers to understand the daily day routine. Um, the catering guys, I um, helped them prepare uh, meals for the airplanes, etc., the cargo guys, etc. So that means I'm there to be able to collect the relevant data for them to get or to, to get to understand better decisions and maybe to confront their uh, pains. So once I got their trust and understood better their business, understood the data that I had that might be able to help them, and of course find use cases that are really um, painful for them, um, I was able to gain their trust and make them become better. So whenever someone came with a new data model or a new way of presenting um, his improvement, thanks to the data, my role was to just maintain that he keeps, you know, I, I should keep feeding him with more and more uh, relevant products uh, for him to get better, for her to get better. And it practically like a train that started, I, I, I was the one trying to push this train, but once it started to roll, uh, everybody wanted to get off, off the, uh, on the train. Um, and on top of that, I started to to create a culture of self-service, and we called it a data literacy program. And by that, we understood that in order to grow exponentially, I know it's being as a term being used now in, in the COVID aspect, but to grow exponentially by with using the data, uh, we had to come up with um, a training program for the business analysts to make them better, to make them good users of the BI products. And by that, we could focus on things that only we can. And they can focus on analytics. They can focus on examining the data, uh, preparing the, uh, uh, the the right relevant uh, sources for them, and of course, getting the insights. Um, and by that, by by having this data literacy program, and even um, someone to lead this this uh, program, a uh, head of data literacy, which was a unique part or unique role in Israel, um, we we could easily work with a thousand customers internal customers, on making them better according to the goals that they set up. For example, I, I called, let's talk about SQL. So um, red level of SQL is someone who just knows how to write, I don't know, select on tables and, and do nothing with, just get a table. Um, yellow would be someone who can join tables and do something on top of that, you know, like a, a complicated um, where clause. And someone who's green in uh, in SQL is someone who knows how to write procedures and really knows how to to work um, and difficult uh, uh, means of, of SQL. That means we we came up to uh, an analytical unit manager and told him how many people in in a green level do you want by the end of the year? Let's help you build a program for you to to get there. How many people? How many enough, uh, people you have enough in the yellow level or red level? For you to work with, because not all of them wanted to SQL uh, experts, right? So, and by that we did the Tableau, same with colors and uh, and um, um, BI 
four of SAP. We worked on Excel, even Excel. So maybe you want someone who knows VB or to record macros in your team, analytical team, and sometimes it's not necessary. So we created this program to help all those, um, you know, hundreds of analysts or hundreds of people that are data consumers uh, set up their own goals. And I was, again, there to help them achieve their own goals. So if you ask me about what is the main success factor that I see uh, in this implementation of Delal is that I wasn't the issue. There were the issues and I was there to help them become better at what they do. And their success, of course, is my success. Yeah, you know, this brings up an interesting point because on this podcast, we've talked to a lot of CDOs, CIOs, you know, um, and most of the time we're talking about technical matters, you know, how to uh, bring data silos together, how to effectively master your data, this kind of stuff. We spend less time talking about the people component of these jobs. Ido, if you were to say how much of your success can be attributed to the technical expertise that you brought to Alal and how much to just your people skills, your ability to manage people and get the best out of them. I think um, a lot of organizations are confronting with the issues of, of, of a chief data officer and what kind of skills he should have or he or she have. I would say there are three different uh, types of, um, of approaches. The first one would be, let's take someone who's very good on the business side, make him uh, like a senior uh, uh, responsible for the data side. He will work with the IT, get all the information that the organization needs. He will have a good uh, analysts uh, with him and he will support the organization needs. Most of the time, especially in Israel, it didn't work. And why? Because he just became like a premium customer of the IT and not necessarily all the people saw him as this uh, kind of a new you know, position that was, wasn't really needed. Um, but in some organization, it might work because it's someone who really understands the business and really understands the domain expertise. He has a good domain expertise in the business, and he's now focusing more on the data products on the business side. The second approach is the more technical one, and that means you know take the BI leader or the BI manager and make him a CDO where he is in charge of the data platform, the data governance, all the issues around it, and of course, um, you know, uh, dealing with all the um, different um, re regulatory aspects of the data. Uh, it happens a lot, and I used to work with a lot of CDOs in the banks, and their main role was that, working to the, uh, on the data platforms, uh, choosing the right technology, understanding the data management needs, uh, working on the data governance program, and uh, in the banks, it was, again, data lineage. Uh, that was a huge issue that they needed to, to confront. But it, more, it, it was more a technical um, senior level management. Um, I have the privilege on working on both sides of the equation in this case. Because in order to understand the business and fully um, focus my efforts on the right things for the business, I need to work with the people with the people on the business side, and that's a very, very, very critical aspect of my work. To be their best friend, to be their ally on whatever they're doing. So I got to a situation where I have, let's call it colleagues, that nobody before me could reach, right? The pilots and I don't know, whoever in the airline or in the, in the um, television company, no BI manager has ever 
before uh, my role, joined a technician in his daily routine, fixing problems in the customer's house. No BI manager before, uh, got to on a plane and, and you know, um, flew to Italy and back just to understand the work of the, of the pilot while he was, um, you know, uh, uh, taking care of a flight, the captain of a flight. And nobody spent uh, two or three days within the sta- with the station managers to fully understand how they're dealing with passengers in their own domain. So by that, I, t- I could really, first of all, again, got their trust and really understood what I should focus my efforts on. Now, on the, on the other side, I'm very proud to have uh, 17 years of data engineering background, and I really understand what I need to have in the terms of data platforms and, and everything uh, to be able to um, deliver it, the, uh, what I want to, to, to bring to the business side. So, for example, my condition to come to Elal was to take the BI department under my supervision. Uh, if not, I was just another customer dealing with analytics. So whenever an organization thinks of, of you know, hiring a chief data officer, I would suggest that it would be both a technical person, someone who really understands the, the bits and bytes of data engineering and of data analytics, if possible, data science, because he's going to lead the data science team probably, and of course, invest a lot of time in his domain expertise. So I'm less afraid, for example, now to move to a different industry because I have a very solid background of data engineering and analytics. So I need to invest most of the time in the new industry that I will go to in order to understand the domain. But I have this solid uh, technical background. If you're, for example, let's talk about insurance. If someone is expert in insurance and he becomes now the CDO, he won't be able to, you know, fill up the gap of 17 years of data engineering, right? So it will be very, very difficult for him. So if an insurance company wants, to, for example, to hire a chief data officer, I would suggest a very, very strong data engineer with maybe some background of financial industry. But the most part would be, again, the technical side of it, but the people's approach. As you mentioned, it has to be a people's person. Otherwise, it will just become another uh, IT guy that needs to support someone and sometimes they even build, you know, teams that should uh, translate business, um, you know, um, needs to IT language. If the CDO doesn't talk business, he can't be a CDO. If he's not talking IT, you know, fluently, he should not be a CDO. I believe in, in both aspects of the equation here and that, that that's like the fundamental part of being a chief data officer. Let's strip away all the details for a moment. What lessons can you share about making a successful transition between data roles in different industries? So how can other CDOs make similar jumps to what you did? Start with a very strong background on the fundamentals, right? If you have a good fundamentals of the data engineering part and data analysis part, continuously work on that. And I teach my students the most important characteristic of for someone here in, in our days is to learn, to keep on learning all the time. You never stop learning. So in terms of technology, keep investing your time in learning new technologies and being better at what you do professionally. Second, understand that no matter in which industry, industry you work on, you will never be the best in each and every one of the domains. And by that, I mean that no matter which organization you're going you're gonna, to um, find yourself at, learn the business, invest the time, especially in the few first few months, joining the people and do what they do. 
you know, sit with the, the, the customer service person and listen to his call or her calls. Uh, join the technicians. Join whatever industry you are at. Join the professionals. Work next to them side by side with, you know, whatever it is. You have to be part of the business. You are the first line of business in the IT and you are the first line of IT in the business. And by that, you can't uh, divide it and, and just uh, focus on one area or the other. And the second thing I would suggest is get a very good, you know, BI manager working with you because he's going to be your best friend. And by the way, he's going to be the one you're fighting with the most with because he's going to want to maintain, you know, the solid structure of data, etc. And you will come out with these new business ideas, etc. But you understand his world very good. When you are a chief data officer, and you're not understanding the technical side of it so much, you will come out with this business, um, you know, uh, uh, aspect of things, and you will not really understand the language that he speaks with you or she speaks with you in, on the BI side. And learn both. So to make, you know, long story short, be very good at what you do in technology side. It will what it, This is the thing that you will take with you to, whatever, to wherever you go. Invest time in the people and the business that you're joining now. That's the most important part. Don't just focus on where it's easy. Focus on, what's, on what you don't know, especially in the beginning. My last question, you also teach data to graduate students. So, Ida, what makes you passionate enough about data that when you're done at your data job, you then go and do your other data job? Well, now you sound like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really love teaching. I'm a basketball coach in my profession as well. And I really love to, to, to like to, to do something well and then teach the new generation how to do it. And of course, the most gratifying way is to, to see someone who becomes better than you. In basketball, it won't be very, very hard, but in, in data, it is a challenge. But I'm very happy to see people that are really becoming very good at what they do, even much better than me. Um, what keeps me motivated is two things. First of all, again, seeing the success and seeing the eagerness and enthusiasm in the eyes of my students. When you teach, you immediately see, even if it's five students out of 10, even if it's 50 out of 100, you see the ones who are taking it, you know, one step for, um, forward and, and, and I'm really enjoying it. It's like, it's like, again, investing in the future. And the second aspect of it would be something more selfish. Because when I teach big data technologies, I have to understand them. When I work in a certain organization, I only know the technologies that are within this organization and I work with on a daily basis. So, for example, I had to teach about uh, GraphDBs uh, for my students even before I implemented GraphDB myself in the organization. So I always have to keep, um, you know, in, 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 in touch or keep, um, you know, online with the new technologies and new uh, methodologies uh, for the university first and then implemented uh, sometimes in, in my organization, whether it's good or not. So you always keep uh, in t um, you know, aligned to the, to the latest news within, in, in those uh, industries. And I think it's, it's wonderful and it's worth the time that I invest in it because it's not for the money. It's for mostly for, for the internal part of, of, of the soul. Ido, that's all I got for you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nate. It was a pleasure. Mark, that was my interview with Ido. Could you maybe provide us a parting thought to leave us with? 
Sure. A point that Ido repeated is the importance of learning about the business as a data leader. Uh, as we heard, Ido took a very hands-on approach to learning about his colleagues' problems, and then he thought about how the data could be used to solve them. He made allies on the business side of LL, and that was what really made him successful. Uh, other data leaders should take note. They may not need to be as in the trenches as Ido was, um, but they have to figure out how to speak the language of the business and understand the business in order to be effective. Okay. If that's all, then thanks to Ido for speaking with me, and thank you, Mark, for speaking with me. Take care, Nate. This has been the Data Masters podcast from Tamer. Thanks to everybody listening.